Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Um, beginning a new study today, we're going to be working through this Gospel of Matthew, and it's uh, an account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one of the main themes through this Gospel account is the Messiah, the King who has promised to come, is coming, and has come. We begin our study on this first Sunday of Advent, and I can tell you uh, I am delighted, uh, just wonderful that we can look together on this Sunday. Uh, what a wonderful day as we take the first step through a long text recording the magnificent truth of our Savior King. That's a joy. Uh, that's a joy that we get to do that and that we have His Word to do that. And before we read through our text today, as we begin our season of Advent together, I want us to consider the circumstances leading up to verse 1 of this gospel. There have been 400 years of silence. The Lord had not spoken to His people through prophets in 400 years. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the coming of our Lord, 400 years. We as a church and as a people have the written word. So not a day goes by when we do not have access to the voice of God. And that's a gift. It's a blessing. It's, it's a blessing that we at times take for granted and neglect, but it's there. It's always there. And to consider that they had nothing for 400 years, they had nothing. And that's a kind of spiritual darkness that we cannot imagine. To consider the people of Israel concerned and desperate and longing. And then, just as had been promised, light breaks forth. That's one of the things we focus on and remember during Advent, hope and longing for a Redeemer and a God who never fails. And so let's look together at Matthew, beginning with chapter 1, verse 1, reading through verse 5. Go ahead and stand as I read. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, the king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You're faithful and good, and we are grateful. Even as we consider this last week of thanksgiving and giving thanks to you for the blessings in our life, we dare not neglect the reality that you have entrusted to us your written word, and we are gifted with it even as we consider those in other parts of the world who long for pages of your written word, and we have it before us bound, and 
We can pick it up whenever we want. We can read it wherever we want. And so we praise you and we thank you for this gift. And we ask you, Lord, today as we begin this study through Matthew's account of the gospel story, we pray that you would help us. As we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, draw us near, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, in this wonderful gospel account, Matthew's message is clear. Jesus is the king. The king who comes from the line of David and the Messiah, the promised one from the line of Abraham. We see that from the very beginning. The book, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. As we get into these verses, Matthew is not giving us in verses 1 through 17, which we'll continue in the next weeks, a comprehensive genealogy. In other words, not every single descendant is listed in this chapter. Not every descendant in the family tree is included in the list that we're given. The genealogy is arranged in groups of 14, which Matthew tells us in this chapter. And so what we want to do is notice some important things that Matthew does give us as we look ahead to his coming. In verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This statement is incredibly important because it shows that Jesus fulfills the qualifications in two very important areas to be Messiah, King. Abraham and David, as you likely know, are two key names in the Old Testament, two individuals in the Old Testament. God gave two promises to and through them. He gave each of them specific promises. In Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, speaking to Abraham, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now remember, this promise comes to Abram before he has any children. And he's getting old. And so God promises that through Abram and his offspring, God will raise up a people who will be a blessing to the entire world. And not just that, he will raise up an individual through whom all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And then God makes a covenant with David where David is promised that, one, a continual seed will endure to the very end, and two, that an honored son will reign on the throne, 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom." He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
will never end. And then after David is gone, the prophets continue with this promise. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David... And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 3 and verse 10, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. The branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness." Matthew is showing from the very beginning that Jesus meets the qualifications of having the right lineage to be the Messiah. He is a descendant of both Abraham and David. He's not just giving a list of names here. He's making an announcement. The king's arrival is here. The king is coming as one commentator summarizes, he has the correct scriptural pedigree to be the Messiah. The Messiah must be a Jew, a son of Abraham, and also must be from the tribe of Judah and from one specific member of the tribe of Judah, which is David. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We just finished a study through the book of Philippians. And in chapter 2, we rejoiced in the truth that the Son of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, becoming, being born in the likeness of men. And we see it here. The Son of God humbled himself and took on a genealogy he became a man, a human being, and had an ancestry. And his ancestry, Matthew is saying, is incredibly important, significant. It goes on, verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Now, Isaac was a miracle baby. He was born to a mother whose name was Sarah, who was shocked to find out she was having a child because she was 90 years old. 
But the Lord had promised, and the Lord is faithful. The Lord is good. And this supernatural birth of Isaac was just setting the stage for the birth of Jesus Christ, which would be more miraculous. Not only that, but Isaac was setting the stage for the Savior King in another way. If you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac, and at a young age, Abraham is commanded to take Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him to the Lord, something that God never intended to let him do, but Abraham went. As difficult as that would have been, when he's about to kill him, when he lifts the knife above his head, what happens? God provides a ram to sacrifice in his place. And that too is a picture of what is to come, but also a picture of what Isaac was not. Isaac was a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, but he was not the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. There's a lamb coming who would take not just Isaac's place, but everyone's place, who would ever trust in him. And God would not hold back his hand when this lamb, when this son was to be sacrificed. Isaac, Matthew writes, was the father of Jacob. Jacob, unexpectedly chosen by God as the firstborn, even though he was born after Esau. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah singled out from the twelve, the patriarchs, because the royal line ascends through him. Matthew here adds his brothers, pointing to the centrality of the twelve tribes, the covenant people. He goes on in verse 3, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, whose mother was Tamar, Tamar was an incestuous woman. You can read the account of in Genesis 38. And you consider, and we'll talk about this, you consider the people listed here in the ancestry, the genealogy of Jesus. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Hezron was part of the 70 who migrated with Jacob to Egypt in Genesis 46. Verse 4, Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon. As we, we pause here, there's approximately 400 years that are covered from Perez to Amenadab. And so we, we see that this is not a complete list. There's gaps, there's missing individuals. Because Matthew makes a purposeful list here, not a complete list. Verse 5, and Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, the prostitute. Prostitute who saved the spies at Jericho by hiding them in her house. Prostitute who is listed in Hebrews 11 as a woman of faith. She trusted in the Lord. In spite of her reputation and livelihood, she trusted in the Lord, and He saved her. 
Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. As we enter this Advent season, I want to pause here this morning. The story of redemption that God wrote and fulfills in Jesus is beautiful. It is perfect. It's not the way we would have written it, but it is perfect. The book of Ruth is just a part of that. I love the book of Ruth. There are certain books of the Bible I wish I hadn't preached through already so that I could preach through them in one day. But you consider the story of redemption that's found in the book of Ruth. I want to give a summary, but I encourage you, read it. This Advent season, read it. It is redemption. A famine drives Naomi and her family from their land in Israel, and so they go to Moab. Naomi's husband and sons all die, tragically. Naomi is devastated and hopeless. It's a theme that goes through the entire short book of her hopelessness. Naomi hears that there is food in her homeland again, and so she heads back. One of her daughters-in-law leaves her to find a new husband. The other daughter-in-law is Ruth. And Ruth is amazing. Ruth has no legal obligation to Naomi whatsoever, and yet she won't leave her. She's faithful. It says in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, this is Ruth speaking, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. She goes to a people not her own because of her faithfulness and graciousness toward Naomi. That is a picture of gospel grace. Goes to a people not her own. She had no one there because of her faithfulness and graciousness toward Naomi. And then even though Ruth is a foreigner in the land of Israel, a wealthy farmer named Boaz takes interest in her and shows her grace. A beautiful story of grace. Boaz, we find out in the story, is also related to Naomi's family, making him an eligible kinsman redeemer, which means he can purchase her late husband's field and continue her late husband's bloodline. He can redeem Naomi and Ruth. And Boaz is impressed with Ruth's character and ends up marrying her. The book closes with an amazing announcement. Ruth, this foreigner, is the great-grandmother of King David. The story of Ruth takes place during the time of the judges. It's how it begins. If you look at the last part of the 
book of Judges, you see how it ends and what that time was like. It is a bright, Ruth is a bright story of hope and redemption that shines out of the darkness of those days. Just like the gospel of Matthew is after the dark years, the 400 years of silence that precedes the New Testament and coming of Christ. A bright story of hope and redemption. You consider the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth. Boaz is a picture of Christ in this book. Boaz was of the right line, just as Matthew shows Jesus was of the right line. Boaz was capable of redeeming Ruth out of her hopeless situation, just as Jesus was capable of redeeming mankind. Boaz was willing to redeem her out of that situation, just as Jesus was. Boaz is an example thousands of years before Christ comes, of covenant faithfulness. Matthew goes on, Obed was the son given to them, Boaz and Ruth, as a reward for their faithfulness and was the grandfather of David. Obed, the father of Jesse, in verse 5. Jesse lived in Bethlehem. He had eight sons. His youngest son was David, chosen as king. As we finish this first text in Matthew and first week of Advent, I want us to consider it's just a list of names we've gone through. How sermony is that? I want us to consider some incredible things from this text. Maybe you notice this list, all of it, all of the list, as we continue through verse 17, all of it is sketchy at best. This is not a good group of people. You think about it. It isn't what we would consider if we tried to put together a genealogy of the Messiah King. There are four women listed in the genealogy. That itself was unusual because the line was passed through the men. And the four women are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah, which is Bathsheba. You consider the four women first. They had scandalous reputations, and all four were foreigners and Gentiles. God, in His providence, saw fit to include women who were foreigners and sinners in the royal lineage of Jesus so as to show that He is God, not of righteous Jews, but of all humanity, and that He has come to bring salvation to the whole world. God saves only by His sovereign grace. The list of names is full of evil kings and sinful men and women, which includes Abraham and David. Jesus came not because of Israel's righteousness, but in spite of Israel's sinfulness. Jesus came for and through the morally outcast. 
Why are these people included in the line that leads to Christ? For the same reason your name and my name are included in the line that leads from Christ. Solely because of the sovereign grace of God. There are no other kinds of people. We are just as bad as the people that are listed in this genealogy, and they are just as bad as we are. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this theme of sovereign grace even applies to Matthew, the author of this gospel, who was a tax collector, cheating other Jewish people out of their money. God saves, not based on any merit in us, but totally on sovereign mercy. This genealogy alone screams that. God is merciful, and He comes to save those who need to be saved, to rescue those who need to be rescued, and that includes all of mankind. Not only did he come for and through the morally outcast, but also we see in this genealogy came for and through the ethnically diverse. This genealogy is ethnically diverse and shows us that God was from a people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. No people group is left out from those he comes to save. No nationality is forgotten. Genesis 12, 2 All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you, God says to Abraham. And so, Jesus will come, Matthew is announcing, to save from all people, sinners who will simply trust in him. We're going to move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together, and as we consider redemption, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer redeemer he's qualified and willing to do it boaz bought ruth out of her circumstance with money but jesus bought us out of our desperate and terrible circumstance with his own body and blood and that's what we remember as we take the lord's supper his body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins we hold ourselves up against any individual in this list, we're going to find equals in sinfulness. As we hold ourselves up to Jesus, we're going to find mercy and grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Jesus who comes merciful, who comes to stand in our place, as Redeemer, as the payment, sacrifice for our sins. We thank you for the examples through the Old Testament, looking forward to Christ, the King who's coming. And we thank you for Jesus. And we pray as we go through this text, Lord, that our hearts would lean in to you, Lord, with gratitude with awareness that we need you, that we need you. 
And we pray that you'd bless with the love and the joy and the reality that we are saved because of Christ alone. There's nothing we could do, Lord, to earn it. There's nothing we could do to deserve it. There's nothing that we could do to help it along. It is your sovereign grace that saves us. And we praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.